0: Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Dave, your host for this week's Thinking Ahead. I'm speaking today with Natasha Stevens, leader of strategy and product innovation for GFK in North America, and an expert on digital marketing and solutions. We're here to talk about the different types of data that can be used for programmatic targeting and why the data that brands use can be directly connected to the success of their campaigns. Welcome to Thinking Ahead, Natasha. Thank you, happy to be here. So just to be clear for all of our listeners, we're talking here about data for programmatic advertising. Now, does that term include every type of ad that someone might see online?
2: That's a great question. Uh, programmatic is a is a term that's becoming um, more and more prevalent. So I'd like to start by providing a very simple definition of what programmatic advertising is. And uh, that is the use of automation in buying and selling of media through AI and machine learning. Programmatic advertising today actually exists in a wide range of digital channels online. Uh, It was really born um, out of display and that's probably still where it is most prevalent. Um, But programmatic advertising is also used for mobile advertising, video, social. And it's actually starting to gain traction in both TV, uh, connected TV is something that you are are seeing uh, written about quite a bit lately and also offline advertising such as
1: out of home. And when brands buy programmatic ads, um, they're placing those buys against uh, what are called targets or audiences, uh, which are types of consumers that they're trying to reach or approximations of those consumers. So how do they find those targets? How do they know what's available? Is there some kind of a catalogue? Uh,
2: yes, it, 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 you could definitely refer to it as a, a sort of massive of catalogue of, of potential audiences um, to buy and, and to take full advantage of that. Where uh, you can buy or or find these audiences are on DSPs, which are demand-side platforms. And as programmatic has has really evolved over the past 15 to 20 years, uh, there are also platforms that are called data management platforms that contain data or audiences. Um, Presently, most DSPs today also operate as DMPs. So again, very simple definitions here. Um, the DSP is what handles the actual buying of that ad space. Uh, the DMPs are used to uh, house all of this audience data and, and fuel those ad buying decisions. But again, today they they mostly operate together. It's a pretty seamless experience where a DSP will host hundreds of, of thousands, if not potentially millions of, of audiences out there. And uh, you, know, you search for, for audiences in, in the same way that you would do a, a Google search. And uh, there's actually a lot of strategy uh, that, that goes involved in, in how these audiences are named. Uh, there's a whole search engine optimization play um, that goes within these audiences, given the proliferation of audiences in these DSPs.
1: So this is a great introduction to uh, digital advertising. I wish I had uh, heard this explanation about three or four years ago. Um, So then, in terms of the targets, the targets are not specific people, from what I understand. They're just groups of consumers who've been classified somehow as being similar. But how does that identification work? How do they become part of these audiences or segments?
2: Yes, so you know another really important question as well, because uh privacy is is very top of mind um, in in this space uh, and it's something that uh it's been quite positive that there are um, a number of of laws and guidelines that have developed over the years around that. So, when you think about these targets or audiences, they're, they're often referred to as as lookalikes, and and what they are, what they represent is models. They're, they're they're models of individuals based on a a seed data set, and the lookalikes are people who exhibit similar attitudes and behaviors to your seed data set. Uh, now a seed data set uh, can be comprised of, of first party data, second party data, third party data, or, or combinations of these different types of data. Strong models often are anchored in a company's first party data, right? Because it's proprietary, it's of strategic value to the company. And that could be uh, CRM data, it could be sales data, it could be digital data, it could be data from the company's primary research initiatives. Uh, But then what the company may do is they may take that data and to enrich that data so they can get... Uh, An even broader understanding of their target, they could then fuse that data or integrate that data with second or third-party data. Now, again, uh, just, you know, for more definitions, right, because, you know, we often throw these terms around a lot and and sometimes may not know exactly what they mean, second-party data is data that a company will connect straight from their audience and, and then sell that directly to another company. So second party data is is essentially another organization's first party data. Third party data is data that an aggregator of data is collecting from a number of different sources, brings that data together and then sells that as a package. So again when you think about these targets or you think about these audiences it's important to remember that they are based on a seed data set of actual people. And that could be, again, either one data source per second or third party, or it could be a combination of those sources together. Based on that seed data set, modeling exercises occur, usually powered by AI, which generates groups of people who look like that seed data set. So it allows you, A, to scale and to really achieve that reach that is very, very important as part of any campaign.
1: So now we're really getting closer to, um, you know, the crux of of the discussion today and I guess what we need to know is how many pieces of data do you really need to create a target, to create a segment? Because obviously not everyone is operating in ideal situations. Um, So what are most people doing? How many data sets are they using to create their segments?
2: It's a really important consideration uh, because it, it can be quite overwhelming. What we see in the market is that because of uh, the the sheer volume and and types of data out there it's it 's very easy to get excited about you know all of these different combinations or or permutations and that 's why we believe a, a pretty simple framework of the key ingredients is is really key to ensure effective targeting of your audience so um, for us, there are three core ingredients that comprise a strong audience. The first is that you need to have behavior, right? You need to, you know, really understand uh, what what your target is is doing, and and ideally, um, you know, that behavioral data is passively collected. It's it's based on observation. Sometimes that may not be possible, um, but that is the ideal. The second is having some motivational data in there or or the why, right? The, the attitudes, the drivers, you know, understanding, you know, what people think, uh, what they aspire to do, uh, core component as well. And the third is the context. Context is is really, really key. So that could be, you know, anything from demographic information to psychographic information that really shows more about how a person thinks. And with these three core components, behavior, motivation, and context, no matter what source you're getting that from, it gives you a complete understanding of, of your target and, and we do believe that, again, there is some risk when you're relying just on one of those ingredients. Sometimes you have to, but if it's a, a, a really strategic campaign, if it's for a very big launch, um, or if it's something that is just you know very core uh, to your business, uh, it's really important to have all of these components.
1: So obviously there really is a lot at stake on some of these campaigns. And I think it raises the question of, Are there any quality controls in place is there any governing body that looks at you know what goes into the targets and is it really worthy of being uh the focus of a million dollar ad campaign
2: you'd think that there would be um but but at this point uh there is not now again with within the realm of digital advertising and programmatic advertising there have been uh, quality initiatives that have developed. Uh, you know, we have initiatives in place for ad viewability. Um, there are quality initiatives in pay, in place to ensure that impressions bought um, are are humans and not bots. Uh, there are, are quality initiatives around site quality and and so forth. And again, while there are no shortage of audiences to choose from. Unfortunately, it continues to be a, a black box situation. It is at the discretion of the owner of the audience, the person who owns the data, who is you know, putting it on, on, on one of these exchanges, on one of these DSPs to describe the underlying data set. And, and usually those descriptions are brief. Uh, for example, uh, you know you could see something like you know automotive intenders or laptop intenders as a descriptive phase of the audience, but what you won 't have visibility into is well, how is intention being defined um, because, as you know, there are a lot of uh, proxies for for intention, so I, I think that there 's definitely some some opportunity you know specifically in this area. Uh, You know as as an industry across marketing and research for for all of us to improve this to introduce more transparency
1: Given all of these unknowns. What do you think? This is doing to the digital ad marketplace. How is this affecting? How the marketplace operates.
2: You know, again, putting people um, in a situation where um, they're having to make uh, decisions uh, based on the you know the data that they have at hand. Um, you know what um, I know that 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 uh, practice of many media buyers is. Uh, you know if you're overall familiar with the provider of the data a, as a company and you you know sort of have an understanding of um, as a company that's you know uh, committed to data rigor and strong methodological practices and and so forth uh, you know that overall brand reputation could then lend over to you know okay I, I think that may be a better quality audience and and I think that that's something that's you know happening more uh, you know I also think that uh, uh, you know media planners and media strategists and their clients as well are, um, you know, asking more questions and, and, and reaching out to providers, you know, to learn more. I think right now the burden is on on the buyer um, to really, you know, seek more education, uh, to really understand the underlying data of, of that audience. And, and again, that, that's not to say that they're there have been efforts in the past couple of years um, that are, are looking um, for this 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 uh, quality or, or this seal of approval, um, but there, there's nothing that has really sort of you know solidified itself as that you know good housing housekeeping seal of approval just yet.
1: Another important factor that I think everybody must be aware of is the pandemic, which is really dramatically changing. Consumers' buying habits, shopping habits, how they're thinking about their lives, and I'm just wondering, like, how does that affect this equation? You know, how does this add to the uncertainty, or what other challenges does that pose?
2: It poses a lot of challenges right now. One of the uh, one of the things about uh, this, you know, proliferation of data and then proliferation of audiences as, as a byproduct is. You know some of these audiences that that are out there right now are are, I'd say actually a high percentage of them are are, are based on data pre. March 2020 right Um, you know a a lot of them will come from data sources that you know maybe are only refreshed uh, once a year so there are, are are some really important you know considerations as as a media buyer or as an advertiser because we're living in an era right now where attitudes and behaviors are in flux and and I think it's imperative for anybody buying media right now, you know, to ask themselves, you know, to what extent are the audiences that I'm buying or, or I plan to buy um, in, in the coming months really reflect the consumer of today. Uh, so much has changed. so much has 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 disrupted. And so um, I think it's 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 again really, really important to think about that and to you know seek out solutions that at least incorporate uh, you know some some real-time data that you know they are out there and and we'll share a few examples. But uh, we've just seen. And again, I'm sure everybody listening here has read multiple pieces of research about that. But um, you know, most of us, um, you know, in this era, have had to abandon a lot of our familiar routines, a lot of brands. So we're in a, a very dynamic environment right now.
1: So, given all of these unknowns, what what would it take for agencies to feel comfortable? I mean, what should uh, agencies be? Expecting,
2: yeah, it, it it it's really about you know trying to demystify that 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 black box um, as much as they can, and so there are um, you know a few basic questions that that you can ask uh, to start to to do that. Uh, you know, first is again, just really knowing the methodological details of that data, right? You know, what the data collection method is. So, you know, again, something that you will see within the uh, descriptions of audiences, uh, you know, in the DSPs is you'll say, you know, it's it's based on data from X study, right? So if, if you know the study, then you can, you know, definitely dig and, and really find out, um, you know, how is the data collected for that study? Another really, really important question, especially in light of, of COVID, is how often is the data refreshed? Like, that is key. I, I'd say that is probably the most important question to ask right now. Another really important question to ask as well is that um, to what extent does does the dataset have um, deterministic data, right? So, so you know, actu- ac- actual data as opposed to data that um, has has been modeled. And I'm talking about the seed dataset, right? Because we know that the the lookalikes are all modeled, right? But but you know, let's think this through here. If the data set that we are modeling off of is probabilistic data. It's already modeled, things are starting to get a little bit kludgy and are, are you really targeting the audience that you intend to? So it's really important to understand um, whether the seed data set that the audience is based on is based on deterministic data.
1: What, what is the value of combining data sets, especially different types of data sets?
2: Yeah, so 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 what that brings to the table is uh you know again with with any audience that we're targeting, the more we know about them the better, right? Because we know that people act differently in, in different offline environments, in different online platforms, um, you know, depending on the situation that we're in. So the, the more data that we can have about our targets gives us a richer understanding of them, which gives us better ideas of, of how to target them. So you know a, a great place to start when you're combining data sets is again not surprising with your own data, right? It, it's proprietary. It offers value to your business. It's giving you some sort of competitive advantage. So as an example, you could start with your loyalty card data, or you could start with some other type of, of CRM data that you have. But again, you know, that that's only going to give you so much information um, about your customers. You know, you may want to know more. So so at that point, what's common is that, you know, you'll usually fuse, or ideally, if you can match this data. To a consumer data platform, third-party data, as third-party data is aggregating many types of data sets together, right? So it's it's, it's actually giving you sort of, you know, more um, in in one fell swoop to give you deeper knowledge of your customers. You know, as an example, let's say what, what they're doing digitally. The more you know about your customers, uh, the more effectively you can target them. Now, again, when bringing data sets together, matching the, those data sets by, you know, a common identifier that exists between the two data sets is, is more ideal uh, than, than fusing them. But but again, um, you know, both, both can work if it's done properly, if it's, you know, done in a methodologically responsible
1: way. Are there any other benefits of this idea of taking maybe offline data like surveys and online data and bringing them together. Yes,
2: we uh, we are advocates of, of bringing together um, different types of data and specifically attitudinal and, and behavioral data. Uh, the value that this provides is it gives you different sides or different lenses of the same consumers. So in a way, you're validating both sides of the equation. Uh, so, so we all know um, that there can be a discrepancy between stated behavior—you know what people are telling you they do—and um, and what they actually do, right? You know, it's sort of who you believe you are versus the the actions you perform. But when you bring those two data sets together, that's where it becomes interesting, right? That intersection is really. What brands need to to understand the the complexity of, of of their targets, and it can help drive action. So, you know, again, somebody may be a father, but but you know, what do they do, right? Because no one's only a father. You have other roles or personas. You're a professional. You're a husband. You're a friend. And so, if you can start to bring data together where you can look at a blend of of all of these different ways a person identifies. And, and how that impacts their behavior, that's where it really gives you some opportunities on how to impact change. And the other point as well is that, you know, there's, there's a lot that you can't observe uh, or that you can't infer from observed behavior, right? So again, I'm, I'm uh, very passionate about passive data. I've, I've been in uh, digital research for a very, very long time. Um, but but attitudinal data, survey data that gives you you know beliefs and attitudes that are are highly highly uh, valuable. So um, having both of those helps advertisers be more informed and well rounded and, and really deliberate in the decision making of how to really engage with their targets.
1: It sounds like this the, the combining of the data is is a complicated process, and uh, there must be right ways and wrong ways to do that as well, in addition to how you make the data sets themselves. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what maybe could go wrong in the combining process and, and how to do it right?
2: Sure. Yeah, you know, I think that the most important thing uh, to do in any data combining exercise is to do your homework and to do your homework upfront, not after the fact, um, after you've combined the data. Those upfront quality assessments are Key and all of the data needs to be assessed for quality. The behavioral data, the attitudinal data, and and, and so forth. And, and again, you know, it, it's important that each of those data sets, you know, goes through a, a vetting process um, because, you know, as you know, um, just one bad data set can contaminate the uh, the the combined data set. So so you know that due diligence is is really really key. Um, you know, always asking about the design for the data, understanding the methodology, how the data is derived. Uh, it should really become a habitual practice. Uh, you know, the other thing as well, um, when you're you know, thinking about audience creation is always to think about visibility Feasibility. Um, you know, you need uh, sort of a certain number of people. Every every company has their own threshold, but you need a certain number of people um, to be able to create a, a strong model for those look-alike models. And we recommend benchmarking exercises to really understand what's the minimum number of respondents that you need um, to build a a good model. Um, we also recommend that, uh, you know, for every every campaign that, that you're working on, you know, it's important to always go back to the drawing board and and make sure that that you've thoroughly answered the two questions of what are your objectives and, and what are your risks. And, you know, lastly, on, on the privacy front, again, um, you know, there are a, a lot of great companies out there that handle data matching, that handle data cleansing, that handle data processing, that, that's great, right? Because um, those are, are, are pretty uh, costly exercises um, but those partners need to be vetted as well and, and their privacy practices need to be vetted. So um, if you have a procurement department, uh, it's great to partner with them. Um, they will be your friend in navigating all of this um, to ensure that the quality assessments are done well. One um, that that is uh, something that we're pretty uh, excited about and, and, and proud of Um, are are audiences that we've developed uh, specifically for the automotive industry. And uh, these audiences um, actually combine um, the core components that I I referenced previously. Uh, They combine behaviors, Um, attitudes or motivations um, and uh, the the context, the psychographics and and the demographics. And uh, it's based on GFK's automobility study, um, which is uh, the largest study of automotive tenders uh, in the U.S. And so what we've been able to do is leverage that really rich Survey of of auto intenders, and, and we've been able to bring in data from MRI Simmons that has their um, psychographic and demographic information, and then we've been able to match that to um, a very large, high quality consumer data platform owned by a company Distillery uh, that has very rich behavioral metrics, online and and location data. So. One of the points that I talked about previously is, is intention, right? Intention is very, very important. You know, we want to reach intenders. Well, um, intention is, is best captured when you're actually validating and, and, and talking to people and validating that this is something that they intend to do. And that's something that you're able to do in survey research, right? That's how survey uh, survey surveys are developed so here you know we're drawing from uh, you know really strong data source across the three ingredients to build audiences that that a you know have that strong anchor with with the attitudes and granularity but b when combined with distillery which is digital data The data updates in real time on a daily basis, which again, as we've discussed, is really, really crucial during this time when consumer behaviors and attitudes are in flux. So in a way, it's drawing from the best of both worlds, um, a very comprehensive longitudinal study of intenders, but then of those intenders bringing in their behavioral data as well. So it hits on all of those uh, ingredient elements, and uh, I think it's a, a good example of uh, the types of audiences that, that, that we believe will help advertisers achieve their goals.
1: Thank you so much, Natasha, for this uh, really informative session. If you'd like to see Natasha deliver a fuller presentation on this topic, just click the link in the text below your podcast player. Take care and stay safe.
0: And now our closing segment, Listen to This, where we'll share some fun facts pulled from our studies across GFK. GFK's automobility data has been tracking reactions to the COVID-19 crisis among auto intenders, consumers who are planning to buy or lease a new car. So how do they feel about the past few months? Listen to this. 43% of those who plan to buy a luxury car say they are very concerned about the impact of the virus on their households, which is down 5 percentage points since May. Almost half of all vehicle intenders say their car buying plans will not be impacted by COVID-19, while others say they may delay their purchases. Intenders have also been inspired to keep shopping through pricing incentives offered by automakers. We found that 0% financing is the most popular offer among all intenders, and especially those 55 and up. But luxury intenders are also gravitating towards free maintenance and employee pricing promotions. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.